Well, hey, good morning, and welcome to Highland Gospel Community. Um, if this is your first Sunday with us, my name is Travis Hall. I'm one of the deacons here, um, and we're so glad to have you with us. I hope your morning is going much better than my morning. Um, the Lord kind of humbled me this morning. I was feeling real good. I made my coffee. I was thinking, I'm going to kill it this morning. And I get out to my car, and my car won't start. And what it was is that I, I thought at first, you know, this is probably spiritual warfare. Then I realized that when I pulled in last night, I was listening to a really great podcast and had like three to five minutes left. So I turned it off a half click. So, I, so you know, conserve the gas. And then I forgot to turn it off the rest of the way, so it drained the battery. So thankfully, Kyle Carroll was my knight in shining armor, came and gave me a jump this morning. So it's, uh, it's been a good morning. So hey, we have a great text this morning. Um, I will be honest, in my preparation for this, uh, when, I, when I saw it a few months ago, I was super excited. And then as I really unpacked it, and man, the Lord just convicted me on a lot of stuff with this text. So it's actually probably one of the hardest texts I've prepared for in the sense that I found myself just feeling so wrecked and convicted about some of these things that I struggle with. Um, so I'm going to just, we're just going to jump into this. So if you'll stand with me, is we're, we're going to read God's word. We're in Colossians 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadows of the thing to, things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with, without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from, the whole, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would stop my flesh from remotely getting involved in this text, that you would stop me from saying anything that you would not want me to say. Lord, I pray this morning that my words would be just your words, that because your words bring life. They speak life. So Lord, this morning, this is your word, and I pray that as, as we unpack this text, that you would convict our hearts where they need to be convicted, but you would also encourage our hearts where they need to be encouraged. We give you this morning, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. So some of you may know that I came to Saving Faith uh, about 11 years ago. I, I was 21 years old. It was actually September 16 uh, of 2007. So next, next Sunday is 11 years. Better than that, next Friday is five years with my awesome wife. So it's going to be a great weekend. We're just going to spend the whole weekend celebrating. But So I, I came to Christ at, at 21, 
Um, and, and, and in those first, first few months, um, I was really excited about this new faith. And, and so I wanted so badly to be seen as a good Christian um, that I read through the Bible in about five, five to six months, I think. And, and I didn't really read it to grow or, or read it to learn, but more to say that, hey, I've read the whole Bible. Because really, what Christian doesn't want to say they've read the entirety of the Bible? I mean, that makes us holy, right? Um, we should read the Bible. Not anyways, sorry, I don't want to guilt you for reading the whole Bible. I think that's great. Um, so, 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 to, so when I read the entirety of the Bible in the, those first five to six months, did it, did it change my life? Yes. But, it, but I was definitely still confused on what it meant to have my identity in Christ as a Christian and not have my identity simply by doing Christian things like reading the Bible. Um, about two to three months later, and, and so, about two, so six months in, I, I read the entirety of the Bible, so we're about eight or nine months in, I hit a really weird phase, like a really weird phase where I thought, and typically when I think it's not always a good idea, um, but I thought not everyone I grew up with or went to high school with knows I'm a Christian. So I started calling people, like people I hadn't talked to in years, including some ex-girlfriends. Not a good idea. And I was like, hey, I'm a Christian now. Let me tell you about it. One of those ex-girlfriends asked me if it was very Christian to break up with a girl over her family's uh, answering machine. I don't know. I was a very, before I was saved, I was, I was, <laughs> I was ridiculous. But, but the point is, I went through this weird phase. I was like, I got to tell everyone. I would run into people at grocery stores and be like, hey, man, I'm a Christian now. Like, can you imagine just how awkward that must have been? Um, and it was. And, but again, I will say, I think my motivations were really good for the most part. I was really, I was so excited about my new faith. But I was also confused, again, about what it meant to have my identity in Christ. About a year later, I, I thought, well, you know, I'm a Christian now, so I need to get rid of anything in my life that has to do with the world. So I, I took all my movies, uh, secular music, and I put it in a box, and I put it in, in, uh, in the closet and, and was like, well, I, I, I probably should get rid of this TV too, but I didn't. Um, and, and then I also thought, well, I can't hang out with non-Christians. I can't hang out with the non believer. And, and thankfully, this was a very, very short, like maybe a week or two. Um, and then a really close friend who's been huge in my, in, just in the last 11 years, like a big brother, I guess you could say, a big brother in the faith. He's like, dude, uh, it's actually okay to be friends with non-Christians, and it's actually Christ-like to be friends with non-Christians or people of all backgrounds and different views. So let me say that again. It is Christian, it is Christ-like to be friends with a non-believer, to, to befriend people with different views and different backgrounds. I actually think it's healthy for us, and it, and it makes, and it, it, sometimes it tests our faith. We have, to, we have to answer hard questions with the non-believer, people with different views. So, so, so I, however, again, I will say, I, I think my motivations in trying to separate myself from the world were good. They, 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 they truly learned, but there was something to be said for, for, for making sure we're in the world, but not of the world. And again, I, I was once again confused about what it meant for my identity to be in Jesus 
and what God thought of me as his son as opposed to what people thought of me as a good Christian. It, see, it's, it's really easy for us as human beings to think that Christianity is all about looking a certain way. We, we, and, and, you know, just because you, you do something on the outside doesn't mean you, that that's how you are on the inside. Because here's the thing, external action is huge. It is a huge part of the Christian faith, but inward reality, the inward reality is the substance. The, the external reality is a natural overflow of the inner reality that Jesus lives in me, Jesus lives in us. And, and the Colossians struggled with this in many different ways. In, in Colossians 2, we see Paul address three external additions to the gospel that undermines a truly Jesus-centered identity. So, so if you remember last week, we, we've just established our identity in Christ. In Christ, we are complete. In Christ, we are free. In Christ, we are alive. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are victorious. In Christ. So, 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 so we, we sometimes struggle with who we are in Christ. We str- struggle to think that we need more, that we have to put on an appearance And the Colossians, again, had the same issues. Even some in the church were telling them that they needed more than Jesus. The the first addition to the gospel that truly undermines a Jesus-centered identity is legalism. And we're going to have some slides this morning. While this is not a hard word to spell, maybe some of you wish you didn't know how to spell it. Um, That was a bad joke. But we have some some tricky words that I'm going to have put up there so you know how to spell them for your notes. So we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. So so the first two verses here said not to let anyone judge you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new new moon or Sabbath. The reason Paul addresses this is because the people who were called Judaizers had come into the church and said that the Colossian Christians needed to be obeying the law of Moses, including specific dietary laws. And those laws, which can be found in Leviticus 11, were part of what made Israel so distinct from other nations. But because the Colossians were no longer under the the old covenant, they were now under the new covenant, These laws no longer applied. And right off the bat, I do want to address one thing. This morning, I'm not saying the law is bad. I'm not, please, if if you don't walk away this morning thinking I'm saying that the law is bad. That's not my intentions this morning. The psalmist says the law is good. The law is good. But we, we are no longer bound to Old Testament law. We are no longer bound to Levitical law. So, so, and Jesus made this very clear in Mark 7. He said this, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. His point here was to declare all foods clean. Um, part of the new covenant is that we don't have to worry about not eating roast. We can eat pork chops. We can eat ham, and we can eat bacon, and this is the part where you go, amen. Anyways, it's a good thing, that because the pig, the pig used to be unclean, and now we can have all the bacon we want, within reason, um, 
This verse does not give us permission to be gluttons. That's a whole other sin and a whole other sermon. Um, so, so, but, but however, there, there is no food or drink that is unclean or sinful to us to eat because we are now in the new covenant. So right off the bat, this first verse brings, brings up in my mind, at least in my mind and possibly yours, the obvious question of alcohol. Is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? The, the simple answer to that question is yes. It, it's, it's not a sin. Is it beneficial? I don't know. I'm, I'm try, I'll be trying to figure that one out probably till now into eternity. But, but, but here, here's the thing. It's not the point. It's not the substance of the text. It doesn't remotely point to the substance of the text. It really, it just doesn't matter. So, so maybe another hot topic in some circles, I don't really think it's a, it's a hot topic here, um, is, is tattoos. Is it okay for Christians to have tattoos? Yes. I would say, however, use judgment on what you put on your body. This is coming from a guy who has goofy Chinese tattoos that my wife loves to make fun of, as she should. She totally should. And she's done a great job of it the last five years. But back to the point, I do think it's contextually accurate to say that if you think it's wrong, according to scriptures, for Christians to get a tattoo, then you probably also think it's wrong for Christians to shave their beard. Because, because if, you're, if you're going to say that tattoos are wrong scripturally, then you have to go to Leviticus 19, and, and one right after the other, it says both against the law. So, brothers, stop shaving. I mean, I would encourage that, but... Um, I mean, if we're going to say that, we've got we've to go, say both are the case. And, and the, but here's the thing. The, these Old Testament Levitical laws are not part of the New Covenant. The point here is that we're not bound by the Old Testament law. There's nothing wrong with tattoos. We can differ on whether or not we like them or think they're smart to get and all that. We can, we can talk about that all day long. I mean, go for it. But it's not a moral issue. And now the second part of this verse in verse 16, and our text today is very interesting as well, because it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So, so, so festivals are like yearly ce- celebrations, like, like the Passover, the, the new moon was the first day of the month, uh, a particular time when the Jewish people would offer sacrifices. The Sabbath, obviously, the seventh day of the week, which was for resting. Again, none of these are required to observe even the Sabbath, because I think as New Testament Christians, we, we look at the idea of Sabbath, and we really push that, which we should. It's healthy. But nowhere in the New Testament do you see a, a, a command that commands Christians to observe the Sabbath in the sense that you follow Old Testament restrictions on, the, on that day. Is it a good idea to take a day and give it to the Lord and to rest? Absolutely. Is it sinful to work on the Sabbath? It's not. It is, it is not. Do we have to worship on the Sabbath as in the seventh day being Saturday? No. And, and historically, most traditions worship on Sunday is because that's the day of the week that Jesus rose from the grave, conquered death. And so, so Sunday really is seen as a celebration. This morning is a celebration of Christ conquering the grave. Again, we are no longer to follow these Old Testament laws. So, so why is this the case? Why do these things change with the new covenant? Paul uses a tremendous picture 
to, to answer the question and describes the Old Testament law in relation to the gospel. Um, we're going to, so these things, in cor- according to the law in verse 17, verse 17 is my favorite, favorite text in this whole, it's so, so good. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The, so the law is shadows. And, and in other words, it's not the point, only something that points to the real thing or evidence of the real thing. And here's the thing, to make more of Old Testament laws than we should is like making more of a shadow than it is. It's, it's like thinking that a shadow has substance or is physical. Shadows have no substance at all. So, so, so if we were to make more of the Old Testament law than we should, particularly ceremonial or Levitical law, it's like making more of a shadow than we should. And here's, here's what a shadow is. A shadow is simply evidence of the real thing. We can get a general idea of the shape of the real thing. So what's the real thing for us? It's, the mo- it's, the, it's like the go-to answer when someone asks you a Christian-related question. Jesus. Jesus is the real thing. By the way, anyone ever ask you a question, just say Jesus. I think it, like, trumps everything. Um, so, so, but it, it's Jesus. Jesus is the real thing for us. So, so dietary laws like not eating pork, pork isn't the point. Observing festivals and new moons and sacrifices aren't the point. Other Levitical laws we're no longer bound by. They simply pointed towards our, they simply pointed forward to our ultimate need for a one-time savior of the world. Jesus is the substance And part of following Christ is obedience. Again, part of following Christ is obedience. In fact, it's really the heart of it, obedience to Jesus. However, this doesn't mean that we make up our own rules and regulations. There is nothing wrong with being disciplined and and setting extra guidelines to help yourself follow Jesus. Hey, if setting an extra guideline for you is I don't, I don't watch certain type of, types of movies. I don't watch, listen to certain types of music. For myself, personally, I don't watch the news outside of what I can find on Wayne.com and Twitter. And that's bad enough. Um, I, I just don't, I, 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 I know that I have, a, I, I have a tendency, if I watch the news, I will probably, I'll probably sin. Because I, it just, there's a lot going on that frustrates me. So I guard my heart from that. But, but here's the thing, that's not, there, there's nothing, I could never say that watching CNN or Fox News is sinful. It's just setting myself, setting something in place for myself. So, so, so as long as we don't forget that, as long as we don't forget that they're not the point, then it's, I do think it's okay to set some extra guidelines for yourself. But here's the thing, Jesus is the substance. Because anyone can conform to some sort of external expectation. Even the non-believer, even non-Christians can conform to some sort of external expectation. But only someone who knows Jesus can treasure him above all else as the substance that he truly, truly is. We do follow God's commands, but we don't follow commands we make up in our heads or ceremonial or Levitical commands that, we are, that have been done away with. So the first addition to the gospel is legalism. The second addition to the gospel that truly undermines a Jesus-centered identity is going to be mysticism in verses 18 and 19. And you might be like, what's mysticism? 
Well, mysticism, it, mysticism is the pursuit of a deeper religious experience. It, it's very experience-driven as opposed to being truth-driven. Uh, uh, in ver- verse, verses 18 and 19, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from, the whole, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So apparently, some of these false teachers at Colossae were pushing people to worship angels and to listen to their great visions that they had experienced instead of holding fast to Jesus. They, 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 they were acting as, as like referees, you could say, which is why it says, let no one disqualify you. They were holding higher those who had experienced these, these subjective experiences that weren't necessarily based or centered on Jesus. They were, they were saying things like this, hey, you have to have a special experience like the one I've had. You have to have vision and worship angels. And Paul is pretty harsh with them. Paul is pretty harsh. He says, hey, they're puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. The irrational and anti-intellectual spiritual experience isn't Christian. So, so we, we, here's the thing. We don't see in the Bible Christians experiencing some intense religious thing that has no explanation or explicit purpose. So, so I, my mind immediately goes to Acts 2, Pentecost. And it's an incredibly supernatural moment. It is, it is probably one of my favorite sections of the Bible to read because it's so incredible. So, so, so the Holy Spirit falls on the, on the disciples as tongues of fire. And, and, and clearly this was a supernatural experience. But guess what? It wasn't just an experience for those who had tongues of fire. The, the purpose was to, wasn't to make them feel and know that God's power is real. Though that obviously did happen, I mean, I, you cannot not read that and just recognize just how real the Lord's power is. The, the purpose was so that they could speak, that they could supernaturally speak other languages, not a heavenly language, but human languages, so that all these different people from all over the world could go hear the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And, and, I, and I would encourage you to read Acts 2. It's, it's very obvious that th- this entire event to me was specifically to jumpstart the church with the gospel being spread in different languages. But, but, but th- this, there was all, again, there was almost never a subjective in a individual experience outside of conversion that was for the sake of experience. It was always for the sake of truth and the sake of the gospel. Even Paul himself We'll see later in Acts, on the road to Damascus, when, when Jesus met him, blinding him, that was for him alone. No one else saw it, but what was the purpose? It, did, did, did Paul go around bragging about this awesome experience that and he had, and, and everyone needed to have an experience just like that? No. What did Paul do? He went around proclaiming Jesus. The, the experience of the supernatural meeting with Jesus— being blinded on the road to Damascus in this meeting with Jesus, talking with him audibly, was for Paul alone. And, and, and Paul came out talking primarily of the truth 
that he now believed. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. A lot of times, a lot of times I think when we want to grow spiritually, maybe you think that that the way to do that is to experience something dramatic or, or epic. And by the way, sometimes God moves in those ways and we need to praise him when he does. Some of your testimonies are particularly miraculous. They are, and we praise God for that. But sometimes, in our sensuous mind, as Paul puts it, we desire emotional, physical, and spiritual experiences. And I think you would really be surprised how much God desires to stimulate our minds before he even wants to stimulate our senses. And of course, there, there, there is an incredible emotion in worshiping God. But it doesn't start with emotion. It starts with truth. It starts with truth. And then that truth leads our emotion. We cannot make ourselves grow through some experience that we're seeking. We, we cannot make ourselves grow, and we definitely cannot manufacture the Holy Spirit moving. And I think we have an issue in 2018, and I'm not, I, I, I hate when people call names, but I do think there is an issue within certain sections of the Christian community where we're trying to manufacture the Holy Spirit moving. We cannot do that. And this is why Paul says what he says at the end of verse 19. And not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So we cannot make ourselves grow. Only God can make us grow spiritually. So, so imagine right here that I have a plant. I was going to try to get one, totally forgot. And we're going to say it's a tomato plant or something. You, you, you know what? You visualize your own plant. And, and I were to tell you right now, hey, I'm going to make this grow right here. I really hope you think I'm crazy. Like, I hope you're not like, I bet he can do it. No, it, it, I can't, and, 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 and why can't I, ma- so I can't make it grow. Now, what, here's what I can do. I can give it water, I can give it good sunlight, and, and I can, I can uh, make sure the, cell, the soil is healthy. But, the, 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 and so, the, so me as a farmer or gardener, I can put it in a place where it will grow, but only God is actually doing the growing. In the same way, uh, I just threw it away, anyways. In the same way, we can't make ourselves ourselves go by trying to experience some crazy subjective subjective spiritual thing we can't make ourselves grow that way we can however put our position put ourselves in a position where god will grow us and how do we do that by holding fast to the head by holding fast to jesus by knowing by knowing jesus more and more through god's word we're going back to week one growing in knowledge and maturity we do that through the word we know him through the word it's not through it's not through a rift in a song where we, we have this emotional experience. It's not. So we seek not to add to the laws, to add laws and regulations to the word. We seek not some epic spiritual experience, the third addition to the gospel that undermines a truly Jesus-centered identity is asceticism. And we see that in verses 20 through 23. So, so basically asceticism is completely departing yourself from the world, this addition to the gospel was particularly prevalent in the first century and beyond. Um, If you've been here over the past few weeks, 
you know about this dualism that these false teachers were teaching at Colossae. They, they, they believed that having anything to do with the physical was bad. That only the spirit was good. They, they believed so strongly that, that it led them to denying that God created the world. And because the world was physical, therefore bad. So God, being good and being spirit, couldn't have had anything to do with the world. This was also why they denied that Jesus was God, because God couldn't be physical in their minds. So, so this dualism became so persuasive and extreme that third and fourth century cr- Christians, there, there, there were these people who would climb these like uh, 50-foot pillars and live on top of them, because they, they wanted to completely separate themselves from the world. They thought that they were paying no mind to the physical, and man, their bodies just suffered through nasty weather. They also beat their bodies. They, they would beat their bodies. Uh, I, I believe Nate told me that Martin Luther struggled with asceticism, that he would, he would, scrub, his, he would scrub concrete till his hands bled. Because we, we and, 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 and so I don't think it's, it's, co- it's common to struggle with asceticism, especially in this stre- extreme form nowadays, especially here in, in the United States, I actually think we struggle with the opposite. I, I do think we, we struggle with wanting to be too much like the world. I, I think that is a very real, a real struggle. But, but this idea that we have to completely separate from the physical is in the context in which Paul says what he says. Uh, pick it up in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. So, so once again, God gives commands that we are to obey, but what's the point in creating our own rules and treating them as if they come from God? And I love the point that Paul makes here in verse 20, 23. These have it indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, the, the, the fact is, is the reason people make up their own rules and regulations is that they, they think that they, 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 they want to look holy in doing this. They, they, they think that this will make them look more holy, and they're really just doing it to gratify the flesh. We really just do it to gratify the flesh, and it's pride. It's being more focused on the external than the internal. And, and, and like I said, and, and one thing I, I think we kind of struggle with, I don't th- really think we struggle with asceticism. I do think as United, State Christian, United States Christians, maybe even Midwest Christians, I think we struggle with isolation. Isolationism. Yep, that's a hard word to pronounce. Anyways, I, I do think we struggle with isolating ourselves from the world. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I thought to be a Christian that I couldn't listen to anything that didn't explicitly talk about Jesus. And, and so I, I got rid of secular music and, and different things. I'm not saying that's wrong necessarily. Listen, if you don't want, if you don't want that kind of influence, may, and maybe it's an idol for you, maybe you should get rid of some music or whatever. But, but, my, but my whole point in that is this. It's not what God is going for. God is going for the inward reality of Christ dwelling in you. That's it. Again, like I said, it seems more common for us to to struggle with looking too much like the world 
And, and, and so we don't struggle with separating ourselves from the world. But it's still a good reminder for us today that we don't need to isolate ourselves. We don't need to beat our bodies or, or necessarily deny ourselves certain things. Do I think there's things that we should deny ourselves? Absolutely. I said earlier that I went through a point where I thought I couldn't hang out with non-Christians. I do think sometimes we do have to separate ourselves from toxic relationships. I, I had a friend, I had friends when I first got saved that I was friends with growing up through high school that, that I had to separate myself from because they were a stumbling block for me. I had, I had a friend who I had up until I got married, and thankfully my wife was just like, man, I just don't think this relationship is good for you. You act like a different person when you're around this person. So I had to put distance between there and separate myself from that person, and it's a healthy thing to do. So don't, don't, don't hear what I said earlier and think that you have to be friends and, and just hang out with all people. And that's not what I'm saying. So, um, you know, we, we, we do need to avoid sin and pursue godliness. Again, that doesn't mean that we need to separate ourselves from the world. We, we need to remember that the world is our mission field. We need to get outside of our Christian comfort zones, our Christian bubbles, especially if we're going to reach people for the gospel. We need to get outside of these four walls. We need to get outside of the four walls of our community group. We need to look for gospel opportunity. And sometimes that means we open up our homes to non-Christians. We open up our homes to hard people. And we, and we bring them in. We share a meal with them. We get to know them. We, we invest in them. We make them feel safe. We give them the time that they deserve. And then we find gospel opportunities. So in conclusion... There is no need to add anything to the gospel. There is, in fact, a need to guard against adding anything to the gospel. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with today is this. You got some math for you. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. We add so much to the gospel like Pastor Nick talked about. We get caught up in movements and saying, well, it's the gospel plus this. It's the gospel plus this ministry program. It's the gospel plus I don't hang out with these people. I don't drink that. I don't need that. It's not the gospel. Our identity as believers, as those who have repented and believed in Jesus alone for salvation, our identity is, is as children of God. We are children of the King. We hold fast to Jesus as those who have repented we hold fast to Jesus, not to the law, not to the lust for thrilling spiritual experiences, not any obsession with being completely separated from the world, but we hold fast to Jesus. We don't seek out or brag about anything outside of Jesus. Jesus is, gonna, is really all we need. Jesus is the only thing worth boasting about. Jesus is whom we embrace and hold fast to. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the substance. Jesus is the substance. Stephen, you can come back up. So I would be remiss to think that this whole room is filled with Christians. I would also be remiss to think that some of you may have just forgotten some simple truths. So if you don't know him today, or if you have forgotten simple truths, I'd love to introduce you or reintroduce you. 
And I'm going to be right here after service. Pastor Nate will be right here after service. All these elders will be here after service to pray with you. And I'd love to say, look, this is the truth. This is our identity. God created the world. A loving ruler that we would want to be ruled by. That's who God is. And then we rebelled. All of us are sinners by birth and by action. We are sinners. And because of that, we deserve death. But God doesn't leave it at that. Even though we are stuck in our sin and can do nothing about it, God loving us so much, so much becomes a man, lived a life we couldn't live, died on the cross, shredded on the cross, bearing our sin, our shame, rising again, conquering death, so that if we simply say yes and believe in him, we're saved. That's our identity. That's who we are. We need nothing else. We follow him because of the reality, not because we like making up rules and regulations and feeling good about ourselves. We follow him not because of some spiritual experience. We follow him because he loves us. That's who who he is. He is love, and he loves us. Let's pray. Lord, I know we are emotion-driven people. That's who we are. I pray today that we know that the Christian faith doesn't start with emotion. It starts with truth. It starts with this truth, that Jesus bore our sin, and by turning and placing our faith in him, we are saved. It starts with that. Lord, we cannot help but be emotional because of that. We will worship you in our hearts and our minds and even emotionally, but it's because of truth. I pray that we'd be people who worship you not for experience, but for what you've done. And I pray for those of us, including myself, who are making it our job to make up rules that that we would just repent, that we would just stop trying to condemn people and that we would just repent of our sin and turn to you. Our job is simply this, Lord, is to bask in the freedom and in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we find true freedom in Jesus. So we pray all of this 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 morning in your freeing name, in the name of freedom we pray. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.